Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Well, hi. Uh, welcome to Basic Folk. I'm Cindy Howes. Good to be here. Good to be basic. Good to be digging folk music. Uh, glad that you have checked out this podcast. Uh, today, our guest is singer-songwriter Anna Eggy, who is a folk musician that may or may not be on your radar. If she's not, then it is my distinct pleasure to introduce the music of Anna Eggy to you. Uh, she started making records back in 1997. She released her debut album in Austin, Texas. The band Asleep at the Wheel backed her up, and collaborating with artists is a theme that definitely happens in Anna's music. She just recently, uh, earlier this year, put out her 10th album called White Tiger, which has got all sorts of great music- musicians on it, uh, and we are talking about her music, her upbringing, uh, including living in a very, very tiny town in North Dakota, where uh, she and her family definitely were uh, standouts in uh, the very small town. Well, I mean, my dad like painted our van green and put great, big Grateful Dead stickers on the side of the van, <laughs> so it's kind of like announcing, you know. We talk about a bunch of different things during this podcast, including uh, the time that Anna moved to New York City. She moved from uh, her town, Silver City, New Mexico, to uh, New York and how she was feeling when when she uh, first realized, like, oh, man, I live in New York. I just basically decided to just feel it. And I was so afraid. I felt like shaking. Maybe I was shaking. I just laid down. I was like, oh, God. And then just like a wave, it just washed. It just was over. I really enjoyed this interview with Anna Eggie. I've known her for a really long time. I was introduced to Anna's music when uh, she put out her album Out Past the Lights in 2004 and just was obsessed with that album uh, and have been obsessed with uh, her music ever since. Uh, She's just got a really wonderful way uh, with, with songwriting and with music, and I'm just so pleased to have her on the podcast. Very first episode of Basic Folk. Let's talk to Anna Eggie. I don't think I'm nervous. I just think I'm like really excited to talk to you. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks again for doing this, Anna Eggie. No props. So you grew up in Ambrose, North Dakota. Is that how you say the, the name of that town? Ambrose. Ambrose. Mm-hmm. Okay. I want to know a little bit more about this town because I saw a website, maybe you've seen this before, called Ghosts of North Dakota with um, pictures of like towns in North Dakota that are near ghost towns. Yeah, there's so, a lot of them. Okay, so it had pictures of Ambrose, a list of like the population. So mm-hmm. as of 2010, there were 26 people living there. Is that right? Are you from a near ghost town? Yeah, yeah. There, I think there's, yeah, there's fewer there now. When we lived there, there were you know, a bit more, but 
it was it kind of had its boom like in the 1918 1920s um it was the end of the railroad line moving west and so they thought for a minute there would be like the seat of the uh you know the county seat <laughs> but then the railroad just kept going west there was a big fire there that burned um most of the town and when i grew up there there really wasn't much there there was no infrastructure i mean there there was electrical but we hauled our own water and we we had coal a coal furnace that we hauled we hauled wa- drinking water and cistern water and wow. it's extremely cold and there were no paved streets um so yeah it's it was very very tiny little town right on the border so when did you what age were you when you left north dakota um i was 9 it was right before my yeah my tenth birthday. We moved down to New Mexico. And you had gotten your you had gotten a guitar when you were seven. Yeah, is that right? Mm-hmm. From, yeah. Was it from your grandmother? Yeah. How did you end up getting her to give you a guitar? Oh, this sounds so small town. It's so funny. So there, the nearest town was called Crosby, and I think that was about twelve hundred people. I started going to school. I, at first, I got, started going to school in a town called Alamo, which was half an hour away down, the other way because, long story, but Crosby was the closest town. There was a little, the, the co-op hardware store where you bought everything, and they had a guitar there, a tiny guitar that I always wanted in the toy section. <laughs> so it was a toy guitar. It was a toy guitar, but by today's standards, you could tune it. It was like a medium size. It wasn't as small as a ukulele. Yeah, I was so thrilled. Yeah. I would pretend to play until I broke a string, and then clearly I could not play it anymore until I got my mom to buy me new strings. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So your dad played guitar and your mom played piano. Did you learn music from them, or did you teach yourself how to play? I learned from them kind of more through osmosis and their, you know, what they played a lot. Um, they always had music on. and Like what kind of music? They didn't directly teach me, you know, chords or anything like that, no. But my dad would make up goofy songs, but not, you know, they would ever sing again, just making stuff, stuff up to be goofy. And um, they would listen, you mean, what would they listen to? Yeah. Um, they listened to... The Grateful Dead, um, Merle Haggard, Linda Ronstadt, George Harrison, The Beatles. Hippie yeah, stuff. Hippie stuff, pretty much. <laughs> I read in a couple of different places that you wanted to be Bob Dylan when you were a kid. And I, I think it was like you were seven years old and you wanted to be Bob Dylan, um, which I find really interesting because when I was a kid, I found it really difficult to relate to Bob Dylan. So how did you find yourself relating to the best songwriter in the history of songwriters when you were that young? Well, I think really just because my parents revered him. And, I, and I, it was very clear that, that he was like top of the heap to them. Yeah, but at the same time, I also really loved Elvis. Like at that time, if you had asked me, I would probably say Elvis was my favorite. <laughs> that makes more sense. It does. Yeah. Your parents sound uh, really cool. Yeah, they really they've got great taste in music. <laughs> and you had three siblings? Yep. Three sisters. And where are you in that? I'm the second oldest. 
Nice. And then, um, so your dad had a wheat farm in North Dakota. Mm -hmm. And then what happened where everybody moved to Silver City, New Mexico? Well, it actually was, we lived in North Dakota, but he farmed in Canada. He farmed his, his father's land that was actually in Saskatchewan. We lived in that tiny, tiny town, but we didn't have like the farm life with livestock or anything. And he had to, I think it was about 13 miles that he drove to the wheat farm. And that was just, you know, horizon and open prairie and one little tiny shed made out of bricks, you know, for the tractor. So it was pretty nothing, but pretty beautiful too. Yeah, what happened was, I guess, bad uh, bad years for farming there for a while. Many years of drought and grasshoppers and hail, all biblical stuff. <laughs> <laughs> then we just decided to move. A lot of folks had moved. We kind of, I, my folks held on for a while, but a lot of folks up and left because it wasn't working. That's got to be so hard. Yeah, I mean, I loved it so much, but I was kind of happy to move because I was really done. I mean, I, I was really ready for something else and m more kids, you know. Right. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine. Like, there were no kids growing up on my street, and I felt, like, deprived. But, like, <laughs> so what was that? Was that a big deal to move to Silver City? Were there more kids there? Yeah, so well, we moved to um, an intentional community outside of Silver City. So, again, very rural where my dad had been in the Peace Corps before he met my mom. His best friend that he met down there was one of the founders of this commune or this intentional community. And dad had always known about this place and his friend Bjorn had visited us in North Dakota a couple times. And so we stayed close and that's where we moved. So it was really interesting. We went from being, you know, we were definitely the weirdos in North Dakota, as you can imagine. There were others, but we were definitely pretty... Weird. Did you feel um, weird when you were there? Well, I mean, my dad like painted our van green and put great, big Grateful Dead stickers on the side of the van. <laughs> so it's kind of like announcing, you know. Is are were you guys your is your family's last name Eggy? Yeah. Like oh, there's the Eggies. The Eggy van. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he was a motorcycle rider too, so you know, sort of pretty much just stand out and. So when we moved from North Dakota and then down where also my folks were very, we were, you know, making alfalfa sprouts and yogurt and all that stuff, you know, and then we moved to the commune and, and it was just very different. I mean, we were not so weird. Mm. Everyone was weird or a stranger, you know, in different ways, but overall the lifestyle, I mean, it was, um, you know, clothing optional bathing in natural hot springs which was divine and still is when I get to go there. But, you know, when you're oh, oh, 10, it's like, wait, what? Right. <laughs> wow, this is really different. <laughs> so in hearing about the, you know, the way that you grew up, it's like making a lot more sense thinking about how much you love to collaborate with different artists. Like you've worked with so many different mm -hmm. musicians over the course of your career. Like your debut record was recorded with Asleep at the Wheel in 97 mm -hmm. and then in recent years you've worked with the stray birds and the sentimentals can you talk a little bit more about how uh the way that you grew up might be attributed to your desire to collaborate and have a collaborative spirit oh that's so interesting yeah i well 
the first thing I think of is there being um, at the ranch is what they call it, um, the commune, where there were so many artists and potters and um, painters and gardeners and people who all built their own houses, you know, women who built their own houses, who played these great songs that I didn't know, you know, by these amazing songwriters, Towns Van Zandt and stuff that I was, you know, what? This is changing everything. And they showed, they, they were the ones that showed me songs. And when I was, you know, kind of entering my teenage years, I had this awareness that there's so much talent around that I could learn so much from all of them if I committed some, some time to studying pottery, you know, to studying like clay work that they, they, this, a couple women there did in the traditional way of the Membrano Indians. That's just so beautiful. And, and the, the drawings, the paintings, illustrations are so esoteric and whimsical and great. And I did. So I was like, Oh yeah, I should do that. And like learn something from these great people. So I think, um, that kind of idea of um, following and being around people who are inspired and letting it inspire me, I, I kind of found that with that group of people. And I find that now with musicians. Like when I first saw Alec playing, he, he was subbing for Adam Moss because Adam couldn't do the gig with me. And You're talking right about Alex, Alex Spiegelman. Spiegelman, right? yeah, who produced the record, yeah. yeah. I was like, what the? You're amazing, you know? But same thing when I first saw Adam Moss, I thought the same thing. I really want to play with you. You know, that's exciting what you do, and it makes me feel good, you know? Yeah. Do another solo. Oh my God, that's so good. <laughs> yeah. So Adam yeah. Moss is a great fiddle player. I actually just met him, uh, came across him. He's in Brothers Brother. Yeah, the Brother Brothers. Brother Brothers, okay, with his twin yeah. brother. Um, yeah. So I think now might be a good time to talk about that guitar of yours. Mm-hmm. That you built, fifteen-year-old Anna built her yeah. own guitar, which is not something a typical fifteen-year-old does. No, but again, that environment of everyone doing, you know, making what they use was so prevalent there. It's hard to describe, but really, I did live in this place where everyone built their own home with their hands, and they continued to make. Many of them make their their living through their art that they made with their hands. It didn't seem completely foreign to me or crazy to do, even though, and because I also loved making things, and since I was young, I loved taking things apart and trying to figure out what was going on. And I loved carpentry and was raised by my my extended family, my uncle and my my grandfather, upholsterer and carpenter. In turn, they both were just so loving and I was really there was there were no boys in the family and I was the closest thing <laughs> to caring and I was so interested and I love them so much and they were so they taught me a lot and I was always in their workshops and working and making things that's also how it felt natural um and I guess that's how it happened because Don Musser who I worked with the luthier he was a teacher at my folk school for a while, teaching astrology. <laughs> and of course, yeah, I recall asking him many days after class, probably random questions, but like, like rem- I remember thinking, I can't wait to ask Don about whatever about the guitar, or like, how is this, and what do you do, and you know, full of questions. So 
that's what led him to inviting me to work out there at his shop. And you still play it now. I still play it now. That's so awesome. That must, it just must feel so good to play that still. It's such a great guitar. Yeah. Yeah. So can I ask you, I don't want to be like, I don't want to stereotype gay women, queer women, but mm-hmm. you're building all these things. You said you were the closest thing that your family had to a boy. <laughs> right. Were they surprised when you came out? Somehow, yeah. <laughs> I mean, shocking. I I think maybe on some level they weren't, but they pretended to be. My dad was definitely shocked, and my mom later on told me, you know, that a couple of her friends had told her, like, well, duh, don't you think she's going to be gay, you know? <laughs> so I think for some, yeah, maybe I was the last to know on some level. Maybe my dad also suspected, but, yeah, he was not cool with it. He's still mm-hmm. maybe not so cool with it. My mom really came around, though. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, just do the best you can with that. But <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I mean, folks are always surprised when they hear that. Because, you know, the hippie aspect, but that doesn't necessarily equate, you know, the same feelings about equal rights all Mm. around. So interesting. Yeah. I want to talk about your voice. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. it's um, interesting to me to hear that you grew up with all of these kind of like folk and country acts. But your voice, I mean, Lucinda Williams gave you the best quote of all time where she called you the (laughs) Nina Simone of folk. And there's this real soulful tone in your voice. And I wanted to know about how you developed that style. Like, did you open your mouth when you started singing and sound the way that you sound when you first started? I don't know what to say. I think (laughs) the first thing I feel is that I have been very influenced by a lot of soul singers, which I didn't even really realize until really learning some of the songs that I've listened to so many times. But when you're playing, they sing way behind the beat. Um, Etta James and Ann Peebles. They're, I listen to them so much. And Aretha Franklin. I also really love a lot of, like, I, I, listen, I love Django Reinhardt. And I love also that hot jazz is, there's a lot of swing in it where the beat is really round and the, you sing, you play right behind the beat a lot. And in my guitar playing, the first thing that I really fell in love with was country blues which is also super driving with the right hand and the singing is way behind the beat. But whatever that was, you know, I didn't know, but that that's what really pulled me in and that's what really um, hooked me. But I'm deaf in one ear and I... I um, Have you I, always been? I've always been. And I struggled with, when I first started playing in the bluegrass band, They, I just had a hard time because from one moment to the next, I could hear, I couldn't hear. Like, you know, I finally realized that I couldn't have the bass, the upright bass on the left of me. <laughs> I was like, oh, what's going on? You know, guess I really can't hear. But um, I remember like really kind of finding my voice and it was kind of early, but it was, it was at this place in Silver City called the Corner Cafe, a little coffee shop where we played like, you know, many times when I was young. And it was, I think, the second time we ever had a PA system. <laughs> and I could all of a sudden hear what my voice sounded like in my head coming out well enough. Because I have a very quiet voice, which is strange since I'm deaf, but it's one of those weird things. 
I don't know. I'm deaf in a certain way. <laughs> it's really, really worked out for you. Yes. <sighs> well, thanks. I didn't, I didn't know that you're deaf in one ear. I guess it's not something that you normally like bring up in conversation. It's interesting. Like there's some footage of me when I was young at my high school graduation and my voice, I sound like this. I kind of talk like I'm swallowing my words. It's so wild. Whoa. It is really wild. So I don't know what that's about. I mean, maybe that's because I came from, from nowhere. <laughs> but maybe it's something about my, you know, slowly tuning into what my voice really sounds like yeah. in my head to coming out the way it sounds, well, you know? It just makes so much sense that you were able to, like, find your voice when you hear yourself. I've heard singers say that before, that as soon as they were using a PA, mm -hmm. it developed. Yeah. It's cool. Anyways, the other thing that I really love about your voice is your falsetto. I think it's like your secret <laughs> weapon. Um, you, and you And you do it on the new record, I think on one song, and I can't remember which one it is, but it's like, so it's just like, it's like a showstopper. Uh, is it that thing I do on Western movie? Or no, that... I think it's on, is it on it the, is. I think it's on the, um, oh, the, the duet. Oh, oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. That was high. <laughs> yeah. How does that feel to sing that high? Oh, it was so fun. I love singing with Billy. It's trippy though. Yeah. It's, it's, it's almost like being on a, a high wire. What's his name again? Billy, uh, Billy strings, Billy strings. Okay. He sounds like John Prine. I had not heard of him before. Yeah. He's insane. He's Lovely. so good. He's such a great picker. He's really insanely great. You got all the good people. <laughs> yeah. Having, it's good to be the queen. Yeah, it is. It is good to be the queen. Okay. Um, <laughs> do you want to talk about going to Austin when you were 19 years old? Like what sure. you were like, I'm out of here. Silver City, New Mexico. Yeah. I had the entree because of Sarah Brown, who her sister and uh, nieces lived at the commune. And she, Sarah Brown's a bass player, was in the house band at Antones, played with Bonnie Raitt and all kinds of amazing blues musicians. So she got you in with yeah. people. Yeah, so she produced my demo. Well. Yeah, that was it. And, I, and the first time I went to Austin, when I realized I could get in everywhere being underage, that was it. That was really it. I could go see music all the time. What was your lifestyle like if you were, you were underage, but like... Were you being responsible or were you yeah. like going crazy? Oh yeah. No, I was, I mean, I didn't have, I, my, I didn't have any money. I was, I worked at a pizza place and in a coffee shop. <laughs> I didn't have any money. So, and I was young. I wasn't interested in any, I just really, really wanted to see the music and be in the mix with, with everybody. Were you like a well-behaved child too? I mean, you say oh, you're yeah. broke, but you can be bad if you're broke. My friend Maya today, <laughs> I'm not saying I'm well-behaved now, but <laughs> yes, I was. My friend today, one of my best friends today, she's like, oh, Anna, you're such a fancy. Because <laughs> I told her I was a cancer rising, and she's like, oh, you're such a daisy. I'm like, yeah, it's true, yeah. You're now living in Brooklyn, and you've mm -hmm. how long have you lived in New York? Has it been like 10-ish years, 8-ish? 
right after 9-11. So yeah, more, 17, more 18. That, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so did you move from, you moved from Silver City to Austin yep. to Brooklyn? I moved from Silver City to Austin back to Silver City. And then, and to, then to Brooklyn. Okay, you went from a very small town to like a town with millions of people. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the, was there a kind of a culture shock when you got there? Well, I had, yes. And I had toured through here many times, maybe not 10 times, but probably six or seven times with different people before I moved here and had lots of experiences. And I really felt like that person that was like, I love New York because I had so many great experiences, but I could never live there. You know, that's how I felt. And then I really just decided to try, try it out. And, you know, a relationship of mine was ending and I had this opportunity to work with this manager. And so I just thought I'd do it. And then 9-11 happened, but I still came like right after that. Wow. Um, In November, I was here. Um, And then I signed a lease in February. That must have been coming to New York right after 9-11 like that. It must have been like such a different New York than what you'd normally find. It was a great, I mean, it was very unique. And and I guess, yeah, it's always, New York is always changing. And I found, I just fell in love with it. Um, But when you say, like, when you asked when I first moved here and that kind of, I had a very distinct thing happen where I moved into my apartment um, with um, the woman who actually I just met, mentioned earlier, one of my besties. She was my roommate. And I remember her like letting me in and um, going upstairs and, and chilling out in my room for a minute. And, and then everyone left and I was there alone. And I just felt fear like wash over me. I, was, I remember laid down on my bed and I was in, like I was on the end of Bedside in Crown Heights, for, you know, all those years ago. It was very rough. I mean, it was like crazy rough. And it was um, a little teeny tiny room, six feet by 10 feet. Mm. <laughs> nice. Uh, and it was like my wall, my window looked out at a brick wall. Like it was all those things. <laughs> and... I just basically decided to just feel it. And I was so afraid. I felt like shaking. Maybe I was shaking. I just laid down. I was like, oh, God. And then just like a wave, it just washed. It just was over. And then I just kind of like, oh, gosh, okay, well, I guess this is my new house. (laughs) It's pretty transformational moving here, I guess, on whatever level that you're engaged in your spiritual (laughs) relationship with yourself. But, like, I've talked to so many people about it, and it really is – it's a different, it's a very different place. And there's all these millions of people on top of millions of people. It's intense. So you're talking about feeling that feeling of fear. And um, you have touched on um, issues on, on one of your records about mental health pretty specifically. Do you, mm-hmm. do, are, and, and also I find it very impressive that you're like, I, f- I just felt my feelings and then felt better, which is like the answer usually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm wondering if writing about mental health or writing about your um, obstacles that you run into 
in life. Do you feel like writing has opened the world up to you in a very significant way? Like how much has writing helped you? And I mean, like, I don't know. I just couldn't imagine like having that outlet seems pretty significant. And if you didn't have it, like you probably would be an extremely different person. Yeah, I think I would be. I mean, I just was writing earlier thinking what I have to write to figure out what I'm feeling about this because sometimes, I mean, for me, I, I can write into an understanding. Like, I don't know if that makes sense, but like a lean in situation, like exploring. Yeah. What am I, what's really going on? Like, what are my thoughts? What's happening? Or what am I, you know, I don't know. Also because it does slow you down to write and it's, um, it's a creative process and, and we're, we're, we're kind of mysteries to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's kind of a window in, you know, we're so often so unaware of, of ourselves. I don't know. Yeah. It's been very helpful for me. I can't imagine my life without it either. It's just as strongly as I can imagine living without music and melody and the guitar and that exploration. And I feel equally kind of dedicated to both. Is there anything that used to like hold you back about yourself like you know the phrase like get out of your own way like it, what's something oh that my god to- all the time still yeah, yeah. <laughs> what but, yeah totally i get it like you can work out you can do it yeah it's okay so we're always getting in our own way <laughs> and i feel like being a songwriter is like a real gift for others and also for yourself where you you can continue to evolve yourself as a person. So is there something that like you can like clearly state like, yes, writing has helped me cure this thing that used to hold me back? Hmm. Well, I don't know about writing, but what I think of is that performing has cured me from huge like shyness. I mean, I still feel shy, but I used to be tremendously shy. So that's been a big thing. Yeah, like it's still, performing is still tricky for me, even though I really love it. And I really connect, love connecting with people. I feel awkward whenever I am aware that I'm on the stage <laughs> or like entertaining or supposed to be entertaining or something. Like It's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure and I don't feel like that kind of person. And I love those kind of people. Like I love surrounding myself with people like that that are like, yeah, like <laughs> I'm doing my thing. Like the but life I'm, of the I'm, party. Yeah. Like, you know, people who like people to look at them. Yeah. I'm not that, I've never felt like that person. I just don't. I'm just not that person. Isn't that so funny that like you hear that often with performers. Like so Fiona, weird. Fiona Apple comes to mind. Somebody who... Like, Ugh, why did, yeah, she's amazing and incredible and gives us this incredible gift, but like, she hates being on stage. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yes, I, I'm getting to, I'm just, I really, now it's like from moment to moment, it's the song, and then it's like, oh my God, I love this song. And then I'm loving the song, and then it's over, and I'm like, oh God, people, okay, let's do another song. And I'm like, oh my God, I love this song. <laughs> right. It sounds like it's the in-between parts. Yeah, it's the in-between parts. So yeah. mostly I don't talk. I don't know. That's so funny. I remember the first time I saw Lucinda Williams. Have you seen that footage of her on Austin City Limits from no. way back? 
Oh my God. She looks like such a deer in the headlights. I mean, so frozen, awkward. Oh God. And then she'll sing a song and it's just like, Oh my God. Yeah. Like forget everything else. Like so brilliant. But it's yeah. good. It's good to have that kind of evidence that, you know, perform performance anxiety runs deep. <laughs> <laughs> it does. And I don't think I have it that bad relative in you know, compared to some people I know actually, to be honest. But yeah. it's clearly like something we're meant to work on in this <laughs> life. <laughs> hey everybody, I'm right here. Don't look at me. Just listen. Okay, you can look. Close <sighs> your eyes. Turn around. But yeah. <laughs> actually, could you go to the next room? <laughs> um I want to talk about this record, White Tiger. It's so good. Oh, thank uh, you. I, yeah, I want to make everybody listen to it. Um, <laughs> what I've noticed about this record, and I wonder if it's Alex Spiegelman, um, there's, there's some different sounds on the album, and I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to talk about the sounds and not me put words in your mouth that might be different. Mm-hmm. You mean like the synthesizer the little and the, the beep, drum machine? Boop, 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 boop. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it's certainly Alec. He, um, he, he came up with so many cool random things. And a lot of the time I was like, you know, thinning out some of the ideas because they were so lush. But so much of what he came up with is so cool. Like one thing that we did actually that was unique for me with this album was that he would make um, kind of a rhythm track, um, like a drum track, but out of whatever found sounds or synthesizers or drum machines. And most of the time, so that, and that's what I would track to live. I would sing and play to this track that he would set up it's because like I a- would show him the tempo and the feeling of the song. And then he would make a, you know, kind of, rhythm track or like a beep boop 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 so there's places in the record where it shows through where you can hear it through and so that's like on um the very beginning of bossa nova it's so good so yeah so i played that all through you know i played along to that whole thing but then we we're like we don't need it on the whole track and but you can hear it all along in you among the flowers the beep boop boop beep boop 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 beep boop 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 except where it drops out sometimes you know for where we don't need it at all for a moment, but, and also in the beginning of white tiger, you I can think hear the, it's like a, I'm going to really have to buy like $10,000 speakers so I can hear all these. Boops. <laughs> I love the boops. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, pretty cool. That's very fun. I don't know. What it's liberating because you know, come on, what year is it? I mean, didn't we all grow up with Madonna yeah. and like, actually when you listen to, when you listen to, Almost all of the music from my childhood, there's synthesizer on every. I mean, Cindy Lauper. Did they have like they had Madonna at the intentional uh, <laughs> community? Of course, of course, <laughs> all that stuff though. But when you think about it, you know, it's not, it's not some weird thing to have a synthesizer part. But maybe it is still, you know, for some people. I think so. Well, I think that there's like that, that that old feeling that like. Folk music is a voice and a guitar mm. and maybe some other acoustic instruments. No piano, no drums. Mm. Mm. There's a too much production. Certainly but no flute. Absolutely <laughs> not. Maybe a harmonica. Well, 
Another thing unique to this album is that I played only, I did not play my guitar that I made. I played only a nylon string guitar. How'd that feel? Uh, great. It was really fun, but also, I mean, it was very intentional and it creates a different oral space. Mm. The relationship and to, to my voice and the rest of the track and also for everyone coming to it with their experience of what a steel string acoustic guitar sounds like, mm -hmm. it's not there. You hear a guitar, but it's not that bring like like it is on tall buildings with with Billy strings. Yeah. You hear it right away. It's like bang, 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 bang. that's a sound, which is not the guitar sound on all the other songs. Um, so I feel like that's a part of a part of a really big part of the album and how everything kind of gels together. That's so cool. Um, yeah. Do you have anything it's else so you want to talk about about that guitar part? Or no, I don't want to. Talk well, we over. might. We we. I guess we amped it a lot too, so we did a lot of weird things to my guitar sounds besides record it. Oh, that's cool. I bet you love that stuff. I do. Guitars. <sighs> oh my gosh. Like put a Can't. put a gauze sheet over the microphone <laughs> and in a fish tank, cover it in tin foil, hit record. <laughs> That sounds like a Tom Waits song. <laughs> you know. That's right. Um, loop it. Loop it. Yeah. Loop it and get a calliope <laughs> and on there. slow it down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I want to ask you about your family. You're married uh -huh. to a lady. To a lady. A wonderful lady. And you two have a daughter? Yeah. Roxanne. Roxy. <laughs> I can listen to this record and hear one song in particular that I might be able to say is inspired by your daughter. I'm sure you're right. Is it Dance Around the Room with Me? <laughs> of course. Yes. So fun. Talk about feelings. Yeah. H hang out with a four and a half year old. <laughs> wow. Does she have any um, interest in music and playing music? She really loves to sing all the time and um, she's been going to a drama musical drama thing this week every morning this week like a summer camp yeah it's Little Mermaid and she is loving it so she, much she's in the Little Mermaid yeah she's like living my dream <laughs> <laughs> I know those songs are great yeah she, she, she really loves music and she sings all the time I've been for a long time, when she was young, I, um, whenever I'd pick up the fiddle, she would immediately want to play it, and that was great. That doesn't work anymore. She's oh. just like, just to put it away. Stop it. <laughs> oh, man. Ukulele sometimes. But no, nothing um, specific that she's like really drawn to yet besides singing. And, and she, I think she really likes the acting part. That's great. Well, keep us posted. <laughs> yes, I will. Well, you see, there's actually a video um, of that song um, online of Dance Around the Room with Me. And my wife Amy and I and Roxy are in it. And Aeneas Mitchell and her husband Noah and their daughter Ramona. I can't believe I haven't seen this. I'm really mad at myself yeah. right now. And my friend Maya, who I mentioned earlier, Spalter, who co-wrote the song with me. And her husband, also named Noah, and their son Sal. All right. I'm gonna. Go, it's I'm gonna it's this. really sweet, and Taylor Ashton 
made it. It's it's really awesome. How do I know that name, Taylor Ashton? Taylor Ashton is a songwriter. He used to be in um, Fish and Bird. Oh, he okay. lives here now. He did the embroidery for the album also. That's amazing. The White Tiger, yeah. Yeah, the album cover is... I didn't know that a human made that that you know. <laughs> I tried embroidery and it was really difficult. And I, and I, I had the worst... I was a class and I had the worst one in the class. So hats off to him. <laughs> yes, he is, he's a very special human. Canadian. Of course. <laughs> and you were born in Can- you were born in Canada, almost in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was. And that's where my optimism comes from. My moody optimism. <laughs> <laughs> where does it where do you think the shyness comes from? The ghost oh, town. Oh, that's all that's all mine. Oh. That's all me. Of course you don't have to talk out there when there's only twenty five other people. You don't really have to Oh yeah. You probably like There's not much to say. <laughs> Everybody already knows everything. <laughs> Looks like it's going to rain. Yeah. Is there an accent? I think that might have been part of that, like, swallowing my words, kind of back of the throat, kind of. Almost a southern drawl, but not really. It's like a slow, this is going to sound so funny, but I don't know if you've seen the documentary about me. <laughs> but It's called Bright Shadow. And that footage is in that film of me super young. And it, I don't even know how to describe it. I guess it's a Midwestern accent. I don't know. Lots of people, I guess, ask me if I'm like from where I'm from, thinking I'm not from the States. But I don't think I have a Canadian accent. Do you? No. I don't end everything up like this? Like everything's so positive? You don't talk about anything? About? No, about. No, I don't. Don't. No, don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been awesome talking to you it has thanks cindy yeah thank you so much and oh yeah where can if people want to watch the movie about you do you is it posted online somewhere it's on itunes yeah bright shadow you can rent you rent it sweet and the new album white tiger sounds so good congratulations thank you so much okay thanks to anna eggy for a great conversation it was so great to talk to her um, and I do highly recommend watching Bright Shadow, the documentary that is about Anna Aggie. I actually watched it after we had the conversation and was like floored at how much stuff that like we didn't actually cover about this incredible human being. Um, but yeah, that's on iTunes. Uh, I recommend you watch it and her new record again, White Tiger. Uh, and hopefully we'll just keep on meeting here. I'm going to try to do it once a week, this podcast, Basic Folk. I'm Cindy House. Thank you so much for listening. Oh, one more thing. Before I go, I want to say thanks to Alex Stanton of the indie folk band Townspeople for doing our theme song. Uh, Alex is a great person and has a really cool band. All right. Bye.